The following episode contains mature themes and language that may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. From 1998 to 2000, a series of five young girls were found in and around Belize City, each brutally tortured and stabbed to death. This is the case of the Belize Ripper. True Crime Worldwide, a podcast where we cover crime cases all across the globe. I'm your host, Annika, and you're listening to the very first episode of this podcast. Today, we're looking at the unsolved case of the Belize Ripper, who is also called Jack the Butcher, a person who terrorized the small Caribbean country of Belize for two years. This is an incredibly difficult case to report on, as there is very little well-documented information on the victims. Belize had never seen a serial killer before, and their police department was completely unprepared for a proper investigation that may have led to an arrest. Many of the sources I got my information from were roughly translated Creole interviews from the 1990s Channel 5 news transcripts I found in the Channel 5 Belize archives. I've compiled a timeline in the best way I could from the information I received. With this in mind, let's begin. 13-year-old Shiri Lee Nicholas was in the 5th grade in Wesley Upper School in the year 1998. On September 8th, she left her home as she did every other day to walk to school in Belize City. She was seen going on her usual route until at one point she turned back and began walking back home. This unusual action was the last time any witnesses reported seeing Shiri Lee. Let's talk about another young girl. This one, age nine, by the name of Jay Blades. Jay was a troubled girl, even at such a young age. On June 20th, 1998, she made headlines when she willingly ran away from home, and her parents reported her as a missing person. She was returned shortly later, and the investigation was called off. On September 25th, 1998, she disappeared again, this time for four days. This was shortly after Shirley had been taken, interestingly enough. On September 29th, she returned home. Over the next few days during school, Jay told her classmates and teachers that she had been abducted by someone. She had a tendency to tell stories that weren't always true, so nobody believed her when she tried to reach out for help. Over the next week and a half, her teachers reported that she had become very withdrawn and quiet not wanting to talk to any of her friends. She even began sucking her thumb in class, something she had never been reported doing before. Ignoring her story may have been a mistake, as soon later, on October 7th, Jay was reported missing yet again. Two days later, on October 9th, the body of Shira Lee was found in a pool of water near the George Price Highway, the main highway of Belize. Authorities secured the crime scene and sent Shirley to Dr. Mario Estradabran, a police pathologist. He performed the autopsy, which came back with horrifying results. He determined that she had been drugged, and there was alcohol in her bloodstream. 
Her cause of death was blood loss from over 40 stab wounds in her head and chest. Her left arm was so deeply cut it was nearly severed, and her face had been cut open surgically. The wounds were determined to have been inflicted by someone with a medical background or access to surgical tools. Sadly, she had also been raped. When her body was found, there was a major cause of confusion in identifying it. She had been found wearing the clothing of Jay Blades, a dress and tennis shoes that she had been last seen in. It was determined, however, that it was in fact the body of Shirley. Jackie Fern Malik didn't disappear until March 29, 1999. The 12-year-old girl attended St. Ignatius School with her younger sister, Adelma. A few days before her disappearance, a man named Michael Williams offered a ride to both Jackie and Adelma, but they turned him down. On March 23rd, Jackie was in school on the playground during recess. Once the school had gone back inside, and it was noticed that she had not returned with the rest of the students. The police were called and a missing persons report was filed. The day Jackie went missing, 40-year-old mechanic Michael Williams, the same man who had offered the two sisters a ride, was questioned by authorities about the disappearance. However, he was released shortly after based on insufficient evidence. Two days later, on March 25th, 1999, Jackie's body was found laying face down in a puddle along a dirt road, very close to where Shira Lee had been found. Investigators also sent her body to be examined by Dr. Estradabran. The results came back eerily similar to the first autopsy. A substantial amount of drugs and alcohol were found in her body. She had been stabbed multiple times and her left arm was completely severed. The marks on her body indicated that she had been run over with a car, and she, too, had been raped. There was also sperm found in her mouth, and she appeared to have been attacked with surgical precision. Michael Williams was arrested and charged with the murder of Jackie Fern Malik. While in jail, he was also accused of raping a second 13-year-old girl, about 10 years prior to the murder charges. Pharmacists in the area confirmed that William was attempting to purchase large quantities of Valium, as well as other drugs designed as, quote, knockout drugs for children. He claims that there were young people going into his garage and stealing his food and drink supply in his absence, which is what he needed the drugs for, so he could ward these children off. Yes, by feeding the children knockout drugs. To each their own, I guess. On June 6, 1999, the body of young Jay Blades was recovered near the George Price Highway. There was even more confusion with this body as it was found naked with Shira Lee's knapsack. The autopsy by Dr. Estradabran determined that it was Jay who had died somehow of injuries inflicted by a medical instrument, and she had been drugged. There was no more information on her body. Investigators thought the terror of this man, that the Belizean citizens had begun calling the Belize Ripper, was finally over. Tragically, despite Williams being in police custody, a second nine-year-old girl went missing, Erica Wills. 
On June 26, 1999, Erica Wills left her immediate family to go stay with other relatives. When she didn't show up, they assumed she had decided to stay with her family. Three days after her scheduled appearance, the relatives decided to call the family after hearing nothing about the cancellation. They learned that the family thought Erica was with them. A missing persons report was immediately filed, but investigators were already three days behind. The first 48 hours in a missing persons case are considered the most crucial towards the investigation. These 48 hours had already passed, plus an extra 24 on top of that, which was not a good sign for this little girl. Williams was then exonerated for these crimes. There was insufficient evidence for all cases, coupled with alibis of his clients and even a police officer, plus the fact that Erica still disappeared despite the fact that William was in police custody when it happened. On July 18, 1999, there were remains found behind a quarry in Gracie Rock, about 30 kilometers west of Belize City. The remains had been picked completely clean by vultures. Erica's mother was brought in to identify the body, which was done through a hairband and a tweedy ring that Erica always wore. Her family was devastated by this, and there was too much damage to the body to bother with an autopsy. Yet again, the police were at a loss for who could be committing these crimes. Their only suspect had proven to be innocent, and they were back at square one. The Belize City Police Force began sending DNA evidence to the FBI, and that was all they could do. They also implemented a curfew between 8pm and 6am for any woman under the age of 17. Just as the killings seemed to calm down again, the Belize Ripper struck one last time. On February 15th, 2000, 14-year-old Noemi Hernandez, who attended St. Ignatius School, yes, if you remember correctly, the same school that Jackie disappeared from in the middle of recess, was running errands on Mosule Street. She vanished, and later that day, her parents filed a missing persons report. An unrecognizable body was found in the Belize River on February 24th, 2000. Based on a hunch, the police called in Noemi's father, who identified the corpse as Noemi through the unique jeans she had been wearing that day. Dr. Estradabrand began his autopsy on the decomposed body. Noemi was found with drugs and alcohol in her system, and she was found to have been tortured before her death. She had multiple stab wounds to her face and neck, and some parts of her body were missing. She had lost a few fingers, which Dr. Estradabrand said would have come off in the process of decomposition. I don't know how much you guys know about what happens when a body is found in a body of water, but water basically accelerates the decomposition process. It bloats the body, and it makes it very difficult to determine causes of death and that kind of thing. The worst part of this death was the decapitation. And yet again, there were surgical tools used to kill her. Noemi was then linked to the other four girls in the Jack the Butcher case. This ended the reign of Belize's first serial killer. 
he seemingly just stopped committing crimes despite not being caught. Many think he got caught for another crime, or perhaps he died, and he's either dead or sitting in jail for something else, which is why he can no longer commit crimes. In the months following Noemi's murder, several incidents were reported of a man driving a red car around Belize City and wearing a stalking mask, attacking young girls, and unsuccessfully attempting to kidnap them. This man was also never located. Authorities believed that there could possibly be more than one person involved. Though they have no confirmation of this theory, there is currently a 100,000 Belize dollar reward out for any information leading to the capture of the Belize Ripper. That's $65,268.71 Canadian and $50,000 US. The final point I want to bring up is the theory that Lonnie David Franklin Jr., better known as the Grim Sleeper, was involved. He had an apparent 14-year break in his murder spree, which happened to be the time in which the Belize Ripper was active. He had a connection to Belize through his Belizean wife, Sylvia Castella, who was obviously from the country. Many people today hear this case and believe he is responsible, though none of this matches his MO at all. He could have decided to switch it up a little bit perhaps, but for serial killers specifically, this is very unlikely. This is a horrifying case that shook Belize to its core, one that to this day remains unsolved. It's not commonly spoken of and there is very little information on this case. And the information that is out there is all in Creole. Not to mention that most Belizean citizens and police officers have never even heard of the case. A special thanks to Kyle Shell for translating all of the Creole documents into English for me. The sources for this episode include Wikipedia, Channel 5 Belize Archives, Channel 7 Belize Archives, and Reddit. Thank you all so much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I would really appreciate it if you followed and left a 5-star review as it really helps the podcast grow and helps get the word out to other people that we exist. This episode was written, read, and edited by Annika Penny. The intro music was written and produced by Ben James, who you can find on YouTube at B-E-N-J-E-M-I-M-A. The cover photo was taken and edited by Kyle Shell, who you can find on both YouTube and Instagram. True Crime Worldwide is produced by H. Penny Entertainment.